0: Welcome again Lake Shore. We are so glad that you're with us today. Welcome to our Smyrna campus. We appreciate you guys Thank you to all the volunteers there that helped out with the Halloween event down there yesterday We appreciate all of you working so hard with that Uh, We want to welcome all those that are connecting with us online. We're glad that you found us that way We are today concluding a series called God revealed And throughout this series we've been looking at different attributes or characteristics of God as he reveals himself to us in his word and in his creation. So far we've examined God's holiness and his power, his wisdom, his wrath, his faithfulness, and last week we looked at his providence. And today we're going to look at what I believe is the greatest characteristic of all of God as he's revealed in scripture, and that is God's love. We all hunger for love, don't we? A teenager named Mary had had a particularly rough day and She got home and plopped herself out on the couch and stretched out there, and she thought she would have a session of well-deserved complaining and self-pity, and she moaned to her mother and her brother, nobody loves me, the world hates me. Her brother was occupied playing a video game. Without even looking up, he said to his sister, well, now that's not true, Mary. Some people haven't even met you yet. We all have in us an innate desire to be loved, to know that we're loved. It's one thing we also, I think, have a need to love others, but, but we need to be loved, too, to know that we're loved. And for a lot of people, it seems like they've gone through hard things, and they've heard different things about God, and God's wrath, and God's punishment, and they misunderstand what it means to have God as a loving father in their lives. In 1 John 4, beginning with verse 7, John tells us this about love and God. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. And here's the big statement, because God is love. I'm convinced one of the the biggest contributing factors to the turmoil and the hatred and the division we have in the world today is a lack of love, as God defines love, as God reveals love. You see, people still talk about love all the time, but it's not love the way God loves. And if we could get back to a good understanding of how God loves and then how we can live that out in our lives on this earth, then we can bring a lot of healing and restoration to relationships in the world today. I don't know who this quote was originally attributed to. I've seen it attributed to different people, but I love the quote. I don't know where it came from originally, but here's what it says. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. You see, that's the way God loves. God loves us. Do you think he loves everything we say? Everything we do? How we act all the time? No. But does that change his love for us? No. You see, that's what love really is you don't have to compromise God doesn't compromise in any way but he still loves us even in our frailties and sins and mistakes and struggles he still loves us and he says we ought to love like that so in light of that Jesus knew that we would struggle with understanding the love of God our father And so he did a lot of teaching on that subject. And one of the places we find uh, some of his teaching on the love of the Father is in a story that he tells in Luke chapter 15. You might want to open that up in your Bibles, pull it up on your smartphone or your tablet. We'll put these verses up on the screen too. But in Luke 15, we have a story, or it's often called a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We have a story Jesus told, and it's often called the, the parable of the prodigal son. Because we focus a lot on the son in the story that, that messed up. And it's true that he's one of the main characters in the story. But there are two other main characters in this story. One is the older brother in the story. We forget about him because oftentimes we even stop telling it before we get to that part, right? But he, he's part of the story. But you know who the main character is in the story? It's the father. It's the loving Father. Jesus tells this story so that we will begin to grasp and understand the love of God as our Father. You see, a lot of us grew up without a loving Father. And so when you hear people talk about God the Father, that doesn't bring up good images or feelings for you. In fact, none of us has had a perfect earthly father, so even if you had a great father, he had problems, he had failures, he had mistakes that he made along the way, even with a great father. And so it's hard for us to grasp when we hear Jesus tell us to, to pray and speak to God as the Father, our Father in heaven. For some people, that, that's hard for them to understand what that means about how he loves us. And so Jesus tells a story to reveal to us three main characteristics I think of the love of God the Father. And the first characteristic I want us to see in this story is that God the Father is a generous father, a generous father. Let's look beginning with verse 11. Jesus had told two stories before this about the lost coin and the lost sheep, and here it says Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. So I want you to picture this. The the younger son probably was acting a little bit like some of us may have acted as teenagers. He's probably early or late teens here. Uh... And it's possible early adult, young adult, but whatever age he is, he's decided at this point in his life, he doesn't want to live at home under the roof and the rules of his father anymore. You know how sometimes we think we're so smart at that age that we know so much better than our parents. What's right, what's wrong and what freedom we ought to have and what restrictions we ought to have. We don't think they ought to be putting all these mean rules on our lives anymore. We want to make our own decisions. Get out on our own and be our own boss, right? Like the teenager that yelled at his parents in a fight one time, I'm not going to stay here and follow your rules anymore. I'm going out and live my own life where I can make my own decisions. I'm joining the army. <laughs> Good luck with that. But we all go through a little bit of that, and it's part of the growing up and that friction that begins to happen as we start becoming an adult and wanting to make our own decisions and make our own way in life, and there's that friction that that begins to come in there. Sometimes it starts at an earlier age for some kids than others, but that friction is there in almost every home at a certain age. And this young man decides, I want to go ahead and get my inheritance early. I love how he wanted to be on his own, but he wanted his daddy's money. Now, don't raise your hand, but any of you have a kid like that, right? Don't tell me what to do. By the way, I need money for this or that, right? But don't tell me what to do. That's where this young man was. I want the money, but I don't want the rules, the restrictions, and the father think about this was generous enough with his son even in that rebellious approach because normally you didn't get the inheritance at that time that's not how it works but he generously decided okay if you're so determined to do this I will give you the inheritance early and not long after that he decides now that I've got enough money to do this <laughs> I wasn't going to go out till I had the money, but now that I've got the money, I'm going to go out there on my own and make a life for myself. But something we miss in this story all the time, I want you to get this on how generous the father was. It says he divided his property, how? Between them. Who else got the inheritance early? The older brother did, too. That's how generous the father was. He was going to give to both. He wasn't going to give to one child and not give to the other. They were both his sons. They both had an inheritance coming to them. And he decided to go ahead and give both of them their inheritance early. And so many times we miss that in the story. And that's important for later on when you see the attitude of the older brother. That he's already received his inheritance too in this story but the father is generous enough to to give to both of them even though I think he probably sensed already that the younger son wanted to be on his own I mean he wouldn't have made this demand had he not already made it clear that he didn't want to be under these rules and be restricted anymore by the father and living under the father's roof you know how sometimes we as parents say as long as you're under my roof you'll follow my rules well you know how we sometimes as teenagers say well I won't be under your roof anymore right so they probably had some discussions and arguments like that along the way and so he had a good idea that when he gave the son the money the younger son was probably going to do this he's probably going to rebel take off do life his way but he generously gave to both of them who does the father represent in this story? God. The father represents God. You know what God has done for all of his children? He's already given us our inheritance. All of us. The rebellious ones, the not rebellious ones, the obedient ones, the not obedient. He's already got it there for us. It's already ours. If we are his children. All that is the fathers is already ours. We forget that sometimes because here's how we think of eternal life. It doesn't start till we die. Eternal life starts as soon as you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And all that the Father has is yours when you become his child. It's your inheritance already. When you grasp that, when I grasp that, you know what it does to the things of this world? It makes them look like the garbage that they are. Everything in this world is going to decay and rot and be destroyed. Everything. You don't believe it? Look at what was the beautiful new Cadillac in 1971. That everybody thought, that's luxury. That's, that's made it to the top if you had this Cadillac in 1971. And you know where the Cadillac is now? In the junkyard. The parts aren't even good anymore because nobody else has a 71 Cadillac anymore, right? Got no value. Everything you think is so valuable in this world loses its luster in light of the fact that you already have an inheritance greater than anything this world has to offer. It doesn't mean it's wrong to have nice things. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do well in life and have a, a nice house or a nice car. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to understand the difference between those things and your inheritance with the Father. Your inheritance with the Father father is far greater. Even if you never get that stuff on this earth, you already have something far better than anything this world has to offer. Let's get it in perspective here so that we appreciate what we already have in our relationship with the Father. The younger son didn't appreciate it. We find out later the older brother didn't either. He didn't appreciate the inheritance that he already had either. And he makes that clear later on. Here's a couple of things about the father's generosity, though, that are, re- that are revealed in Scripture. One is, this generous father, he loves being generous, but he despises grumbling. He despises grumbling. Let me ask you this. Is it more enjoyable, does it give you more joy to give to your children when they're grateful? Or to give to your children when they're complaining. Grateful, right? Every parent would say the same thing. It brings you greater joy to provide for them when you see gratitude on their part. Well, God is the father in this story who's providing for his children. And he wants his children to be grateful. You see, it gives God great joy to provide for grateful children to not go around grumbling and complaining all the time i'm still amazed and i still occasionally will fall into this too uh, how the flesh keep rise, keeps rising up in us and no matter how blessed we are we're still grumbling and complaining about stuff all the time friends we are the most blessed generation that, that has lived on the earth as far as i'm concerned We've got so many wonderful blessings and opportunities here in this country, having the opportunities that we've got. I don't mean everybody equally has the same amount of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying the blessings are available to everybody. And yet we grumble and complain all the time. I, uh, I know short, short-term mission trips honestly don't help Sometimes the, the people we go there to serve with, nearly as much as they help us, get perspective. When you go to a third world country or somewhere like that, where you get better perspective on how blessed you really are here in this country. We are so blessed. And yet we grumble and complain. That's why Paul said in Philippians 2, writing to the church there, beginning with verse 14, he said this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. He says, you know how you're going to shine and stand out as God's children in this world? By doing everything without what? Grumbling and complaining. How'd you do at work this past week, friends? Some of you are laughing nervously now. You're supposed to be shining like a star there for your father. Did you work without grumbling and complaining this past week? Moms, dads, how'd you do in your home this week? Did you take care of stuff without grumbling or complaining this week? That's the only way you're going to shine like a star in your home for your father. How'd you do interacting with people out there like at the grocery store and the bank and all those places you interacted with others? The restaurant where you got the slow service and they didn't get your order right, right? That's almost any restaurant these days. How'd you do with that? Did you function and interact with people without grumbling and complaining? You see, that's how we're going to shine like stars out there for our Father. God hates it when we go around grumbling and complaining when we're so blessed. We already have our inheritance, remember? Why in the world are we going around grumbling and complaining about temporary stuff on this earth that really doesn't matter in eternity anyway? It really doesn't. Even if you never got your order right, it's not going to matter in eternity. Even if the person was rude to you on the phone, this telemarketer that called you, It's not going to make one bit of difference in eternity. You're still so blessed. And you already have this amazing inheritance. We need to do everything without grumbling and complaining. He despises grumbling, but here's something else about God. The flip side is he delights in praise. He delights in the praise of his children. Don't you love it when your children show you love and gratitude and thanks, and they offer praise. When you hear one of your children, sometimes they try to do it when you're not around. They don't think you could hear them. But when you accidentally overhear them bragging on their parent, on you as a mom or a dad, doesn't that just mean more to you than anything? It's amazing when you hear your children do that. Our Heavenly Father wants that from His children. He wants us bragging on Him, praising Him. It says in Psalm 147, verses 11 and 12, it says this, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Then he says this, extol the Lord. That means praise him, lift him up. Jerusalem, praise your God, Zion. He's saying he wants his children to offer up his praise. You say, well, I sang this morning. Yeah. Let's go back to the week, though. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, how did you do praising God? Did you extol His praises? Did you brag on your Father this week to the people around you in your home, in your business, in your community? Did you brag on God this week? We got a lot to brag about, don't we? It's like the old argument, my dad can beat up your dad, <laughs> my dad can take anybody, <laughs> right? Right? We have a lot to brag about, don't we? Why aren't we bragging on God more than we are? Why aren't we praising Him more than we are? What an amazing father we have. We ought to be praising Him all the time, offering up His praises. Well, He's a generous father. The second thing we see today is He's also a patient father. I'm so grateful for that one. A patient father. Look at verse 14. Remember the sun went off? says He... Spent all the money on a wild lifestyle. In verse 14, it says, after he had spent everything, can you go through a lot of money real fast? Yeah. Are there people that will help you do it? Yeah, plenty of people around to help you do that, right? All right. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. Remember, he left the father's house, and he didn't just go down the road. He went to another country. He got as far away from his dad as he could. And there he just spent all the money while living. Had, I'm sure people around him helping him spend the money. But then a famine hits the whole country. That means there's uh, crops have been failing or there hasn't been enough rain. And uh, the, the people are beginning to run low on food. The animals are beginning to starve to death. It says, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, I've talked about this before. I've taught on this parable before. But remember, Jesus is telling this story as a Jewish rabbi to a Jewish audience. And they are picturing what kind of son? A Jewish son. And so this Jewish son is in this non-Jewish country. And there he has to get the only job he can get, which is feeding what? pigs now that's very very odd because and very hard for this young man because Jewish dietary laws say that they can't eat pork and so the only job he can get is actually feeding a pig that people are going to eat and he can't even eat it because of his religious dietary laws any of you ever slopped the hogs before I actually have as a kid growing up, I worked out at a camp where occasionally we would raise hogs and slaughter them and, uh, and have a barbecue. And uh, I don't eat uh, so much meat anymore, but back then, yeah, I thought that was great. So uh, actually the slaughtering the pig wasn't so great, but, and the feeding the pig wasn't so great. The barbecue's great, but that other part wasn't so great. It's messy and it stinks. Oh, it stinks to high heaven down at the pig pen and pigs don't care they just don't care you know what they eat anything left over they don't care what we used for slop was just any leftover food that people didn't eat and we just mixed it all together in buckets and took it down and dumped it in the trough that's what they 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 never said i don't think i want that (laughs) they never said is this gluten-free I mean, you could barely get it in there before. They're just in there pushing you out of the way trying to get it and eat it. They didn't care. So here's this young man slopping the hogs, feeding the pigs. And it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's starving. Nobody gives him anything to eat. It says when he came to his senses. I love that verse. Verse 17, highlight that if you can on either your smartphone or tablet or in your Bible, highlight that. When he came to his senses. I I love that phrase because that's the phrase we all need to catch here today, all right? When he came to his senses, here's what he realized. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? You know what he's saying? The people back home who are serving my father are a whole lot better off than I am in my freedom, what I call freedom, in my rebellion. Those people are better off than I am that are back home serving my father. He said, I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Have you ever had something really hard to say to somebody, like an apology, an apology? And you couldn't think of how to say it. And you were embarrassed and afraid to go to them and confess what had happened and ask for their forgiveness. I've done this before literally just like this young man. You know what I've done? I have rehearsed it ahead of time. I have practiced what I'm going to say before I get there. That's what Jesus is saying in the story that this son was doing. He's deciding in advance. Now, what can I say to my dad? Here's here's what I can say. I can say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. Just, Just make me one of your hired servants. He's already rehearsed it. On the way back home, can you imagine he's practicing and saying it different ways and using different inflections, trying to make sure he gets it exactly right so that the father will accept him back again. He's concerned that if he doesn't handle this well, the father's not going to take him back. Right? What's the father been doing all this time? I mean, his son has treated him Very poorly, right? He's been disrespectful, rebellious. He's abandoned his home and his work, his family. What's the father been doing the whole time? He's been waiting. He's been waiting on the son to come home. He's being patient with him. He didn't force the son to come back or to stay. One of the hardest things for parents to realize is, no matter how much you love your children, after a certain point, when they get to a certain age, you honestly can't make them be what you want them to be anymore. Act like you want them to act. Do what you want them to do. You have to hope and pray that you have done the best you could Raising them, teaching them, but now it's up to them to make the choice to be who you hope they would be. And you can't force that to happen anymore. That is so scary as a parent. It is so hard. Here's what we know about every single child, even the good ones they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to do some things we didn't necessarily agree with. They're going to make some choices that, not the choices we would have made, and if they had asked us, we would have told them something different, but they didn't even ask, right? They get to a place where they have to start doing that for themselves. And that's one of the hardest things for a parent to sit back and watch and not be able to control But here's a lesson I had to learn a long time ago, and I hope all of you have learned it. Uh, Maybe you've learned it sooner than I did. I hope so. You know how much control you have? Zero, right? You have zero control. You can pray. I encourage you to do that. You can encourage. If they come to you, you can certainly tell them what you think they need to hear if they're asking. You can even go to them and offer advice as you have opportunity, but you can't control anything about their response or lack thereof. You can't. And this father in the story understood that he couldn't force his son to stay there and do what he wanted his son to do. He had to allow the son to make his own choices. In the clip we watched earlier from the movie Bruce Almighty, Bruce says, how do you make somebody love you without affecting free will? And Morgan Freeman playing God. I'll always think of Morgan Freeman as God now. (laughs) Morgan Freeman, as God, says, if you figure that out, you let me know. You see, God allowed us to have free will. He's a father that says to us as children... You have to make your own choices. Now remember, you're free to make the choices. You're not free from the consequences. We talked about that already. But but you're free to make your own choices. God allows all of us to have that freedom. Why? Because He loves us. And anything less than that would not be a loving relationship. You see, if He forced us to only do what He wants us to do, that's not a loving relationship at all. That's enslavement. And God did not come to enslave us. He came to set us free. But a loving father always wants you to make the best choices with your freedom that he allows you to have. You see, he watched and waited for his son. He didn't force him. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Our Father is being patient with us right now. Otherwise, Jesus would have already come back and judged the world. But you know why He's waited? Because in His love and His patience, He wants everyone to repent and get ready before Jesus comes back he's given us a chance to get ready for the coming to enter into the rest of our lives in eternity so he watched and he waited for his son and that's really one of the core values of love look at 1 corinthians 13 remember that's the love chapter in the bible we use it at weddings all the time but it's not just for weddings okay it's for all the time here's what it says about love first corinthians 13 4 love is what's that word Patient is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. God loves and therefore God is patient. God is loved, so God is patient with us. Patient does not mean that the coming of Christ isn't going to happen. It just means he's delayed it, even till now at least, because of his loving patience with us giving us the opportunity to prepare God is in his love a generous father he's a patient father and finally he is he is a forgiving father remember the son rehearsed all the way back when he got back he says in verse 21 the son said to his father after the father ran out to him hugged him he said father I've sinned against heaven and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Isn't that what he practiced before? Remember, he decided what I'm going to say when I get back. So he says what he thought about saying, what he prepared to say. He gets those words out. And what does the father do? Immediately, he stops the son in his tracks. And here's what it says in verse 22. The father even turned from his son after he said that he said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. What grace. What forgiveness. The son has shown nothing but disrespect and rebellion to his father for a long time now. But as soon as he comes back, he finds the father not waiting to punish him. He finds a father who sees him while he's still a long way off and he runs out to him and he embraces him. And as he starts confessing his sin and his failure, the father immediately says, Bring a robe and put it on my son. What does he call him again? Son. He's just offered to be a servant, but what does the father call him immediately? Son. Put a robe on my son. Put a ring on his finger. The ring would have been in that family structure they had then. The signet ring of the family. It signifies that he is a full-fledged member of the family. He didn't want anybody to mistake that. He didn't want anybody treating him like he wasn't part of the family anymore. He wanted to be sure everybody knew this son of mine is welcome back as my son and he has all the family benefits that everybody else in the family has. And he said, we got a party. Crank up the grill, throw some steaks on the grill. We're going to have us a good time tonight. Because this son of mine was lost and he's found. He was dead and he's alive. He wasn't literally dead, but he was dead to the father, right? By his own choice, by his own rebellion, he was dead to the father. The father didn't decide that. The son decided that. But the father decided he could be welcomed back immediately as a son. And he could be treated like a son. With all the rights and privileges of a son. And he wanted everybody to know that they needed to celebrate the return of his son. Verse 25 is a key verse in the story, too. Meanwhile, any of you ever watched the old Batman shows? Meanwhile, Batman and Robin are being lured into a vat of oil that's boiling, right? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, all right? Meanwhile... Here's what's going on with the older son. He was in the field. What's he doing in the field, most likely? Working, right. He's out there working. He's been working the whole time. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. See, they, threw, they got the band out. They got out the, the instruments, and they started playing and partying and dancing and singing. You could hear this all over the place. And the son, when he got close to the house, he heard the music and the dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on there at the house? Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. What should have been the older brother's first reaction? <laughs> Let's party. I want to join the party. But here's what it says about the older son. He became angry and refused to go in. If I'd been the dad, I'd said, okay, you get nothing to eat tonight, right? <laughs> See, at my house, if you didn't eat what was prepared, when it was prepared, you went without. Well, this father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Do you hear the grumbling and complaining of the older brother? What did he already have? Remember, first part of the story. He already had the inheritance that his father had given him. And he's complaining because he threw a party for his son that came back home, his brother. And he didn't throw a party for him. He says, this son of yours who squandered your property. Notice what he calls his brother. This son of yours. He doesn't use his name. doesn't call him his brother. He says, this son of yours. He's already that mad. He squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Now, first of all, it never said he squandered the money on prostitutes. That's just something the older brother assumes must have happened. My son, the father said, listen to his words. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Two things about the forgiveness of the Father in this story. First, he welcomed the repentant son back home. He welcomed him home. One of the main points of Jesus telling this story is this. Listen to me. Wherever you are right now, listen to me. One of the main points of the story is this. For the Father, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. He just wants you to come home. He just wants you to come home. And I think a lot of people in the world don't understand that about God. You know how hard it is when you know you've really messed up to go back and tell your mom or dad you messed up when you were a kid? I used to hate to have to do that. I I struggled with it. My pride would get in the way and I, I knew that they'd be mad and man, I didn't want my parents mad at me so a lot of times I would try to hide it or or, or never bring it up, somehow never let it have to be dealt with if I could possibly cover it up, right? Never go to them with it. And Sometimes that would work temporarily, but eventually it always would come out, you know. It usually be worse because more time had gone and it had gotten worse in the meantime, trying to hide it. We do God that way because we don't understand His love like we need to. More than anything else, He wants you to come home and be forgiven, be welcomed back to the family. He wants that for you more than he ever wanted you to have to suffer or have pain or or bad consequences in your life. He doesn't want that for you any more than any good parent wants that for their own child. He wants only good for you. He wants you home where you belong. He welcomed the repentant son. But notice the only way the son could be welcomed back was when he had reached the place of repentance. Remember that verse, when he came to his senses? That's the beginning of repentance. It's when you change your thinking about sin. And no longer do you think it's just fun and games and nobody needs to be telling me what to do and I can do whatever I want. You start thinking differently about sin. You understand the destructive nature of sin and you don't want that in your life anymore. You now begin to appreciate why the Father said, don't go here go here you now began to appreciate the love that was in the father saying i want to protect you from this bad stuff that's going to happen if you do these things you begin to appreciate that and it says the love of god leads you to repentance the son was led to repentance because his greatest hope was the father loves me and i can go back home to the father you need to know this about the father he loves you And if you're willing to repent, you are welcome back home with the Father. No matter where you've been and no matter what you've done. He just wants you to come home. In 1 John 1.9 it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know what the son did for the father and the, the father did for the son in the story the robe the ring the party it was all part of that purification of being made back into what he intended for his son to be all along a son in the family And men and women he wants you to come home to be a son and a daughter in his family That's what he wants for you more than anything else And you know what it cost him everything to do that You see, in order for us to be purified, it meant sin had to be atoned for, which meant the blood of Jesus had to be shed on the cross for you and for me. See, that's the only thing that makes it possible for us to be welcomed back home with the Father. It's the forgiveness of the Father. He welcomed the repentant son. He celebrated the repentant son. He threw the party. He wanted everybody to know, and he wanted to celebrate the fact that his son had come home. You see, that wasn't the first story. He had already told the story of the lost sheep. He had told the story of the lost coin, and now he told the story of the lost son. And all three stories in the same. When what was lost was found, what happened? Celebration. Celebration. A party. You see, we are afraid to take those steps back because we don't know what's waiting on us. I can tell you what's waiting on you with the Father. A party, a celebration is waiting on you. If you would just turn around and come back home. He wants to throw this party for you. But then he did something else. He reassured the older brother too. Remember, he had already given him his inheritance. But look at what he said to him in verse 31. He said, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Sometimes we who are following Christ right now can actually get a little bit jealous that the church is throwing a party for somebody who's been off in sin and comes home. As if, what about me? You know, the biggest grumblers and complainers in the church are not new Christians, never have been. The biggest grumblers and complainers in churches are people that have been there a long time. You change anything, and man, are they upset. Even if you make the change to be more effective in reaching lost people who need to come home to God. They're the first ones to complain and get mad and take their money and go home. And their complaint is always the same, but what about me? What about what I want? What about my preferences? What about my party? What about me? You know what God says to you? Everything I have is already yours. What do you got to complain about? So what if they change something you don't like? Everything I have is already yours. You already have your inheritance. It's guaranteed. Nobody can take it away from you. Why are you complaining about anything? Especially the church trying to make some changes to reach more people and help them find their way home. Why would we complain about that? When that's what the love of the Father is all about. See, Jesus told all three of these stories so that we would begin to love like he loves. And the love of God puts reaching lost people ahead of our own personal preferences. He always has, and he always will. So let me ask you, how are you doing with your love thing in your life? How much like the Father's love is your love? How much like the father's willingness to sacrifice, like your willingness to sacrifice? How much is the father's willingness to forgive and do whatever it takes to bring the child home again? How much of that is the way you're loving right now? You see, the danger is we could be the older brother in this story if we're not careful. We could be the older brother that just wants to say, but what about me? And the Father says to all of us, everything I have is already yours. Stop your complaining. Stop your selfishness. Stop your demanding your own way. And start loving like I love you. Everything I have is already yours. Let's pray. Father, Father, we're so grateful that you love us the way you love us. (laughs) We're not worthy to be called your children. (laughs) We would be honored even just to be your servants, but you don't stop with that. You welcome us back, even after our rebellious sin in our lives. You welcome us back as sons and daughters with all the rights and privileges of all that is yours being given to us. Help us to stop our grumbling and complaining. Help us to be a grateful people. And help us to join you in the celebration when we reach out and help others find their way home. May we be known as a church where your party never stops because more people are finding their way home every day through the people who make up this church. Father, I pray that if there's anyone today hearing this message that needs to come home, that they would know they don't have to be afraid to take those steps. You're already waiting for them and your forgiveness is already there for them if they would just come. You're not gonna force them, but Father, you've made it possible for them to come home. May we be able to celebrate even today a child coming home to you. It's our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.